Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today you'll be listening to myself, Mark Hirons, and Josh Miles. On the show today we talk about his podcast, Obsessed with Design, his book, Bold Brands 2.0, and then we go deep into positioning yourself and your brand. We talk through a few marketing tactics and a few ways to get noticed. We also talk a lot about networking and how to be a good networker. And finally, we finish up on brand and personal values. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Rin, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, awesome to chat to you. Uh, well, can we start with who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Josh Miles. Uh, some of your listeners might know me as the host of the podcast Obsessed with Design. Been doing that for, gosh, almost three years. We've been a little bit of a, a hiatus on and off for the last year, but um, I've got something like five or six episodes in the can. So hopefully your, uh, your listeners can check those out. Those are over at obsessedshow.com. Um, I ran an agency for about 16 years called Miles Design, which eventually became Miles Herndon, and uh, my partner took over uh, about a year ago, and uh, they're still going strong, and uh, I'm currently the chief marketing officer for a membership organization called SMPS, which is mostly U.S.-based. We've got a few Canadian chapters, but it's uh, for marketers who work in architecture and engineering. Nice. And then for that group, <laughs> we've got another podcast called uh, PSM Show. So it's all about professional services marketing. So that's that's been interesting. Lots of lots of juggling and plate spinning on my end. Yeah, and you do a lot of YouTube stuff as well. You like see that you're carrying on with that as well. So it's, it's busy over there. How do you, yeah. how, do you uh, how are you managing it all then? Uh, just barely. <laughs> yeah, family as well, and I, I see on Instagram you, you post a lot with family. So you're doing a lot with them as well. So it's. That's pretty, yeah. a, lot, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, two kiddos, two podcasts, uh, one wife, so that keeps it simple, um, and, <laughs> and lots of lots of interests. Um, yeah, I really just kind of dug into the YouTube thing last year and decided that I wanted to, to teach myself more about video and how YouTube worked, and, and that turned into like a full-on kind of obsession of mm-hmm. itself. So um, if listeners go back and listen to my podcast from a year plus ago, I probably mentioned it a couple of times like, Oh yeah, I really want to figure out YouTube and I'm still, still figuring it out, but it's, it's been fun digging into that. Yeah. No, I remember when I started on YouTube and it was, uh, it's, it's good. It was uh, exciting and it's a long slog though. <laughs> I didn't realize how long it would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. It's carrying on. Um, are you thinking about getting the podcast on, on video as well or not? Yeah, so I did, um, for my other show, I had uh, Seth Godin, who's a marketing author, on uh, a few months back. And that was really the first one that I used the, the video for as well. So um, I've started trying to get video of my new, uh, new guests. So all of the new Obsessed Show ones that I mentioned earlier were not video, but I'm, I'm going to start releasing those. Uh, on both when available because I, I love what you're doing here and I think it's really cool to be able to uh, actually see the other side of the conversation. That's um, it, yeah. I think, I think some people, I mean, the majority of people do still listen to audio, but uh, there's a nice little handful of people that like the video versions as well. So it's probably worth doing it. I mean, I know Scotty Russell as well from Perspective Collective, he's going to start doing them. Uh, and uh, I think Daryl Pinnock, I think he might be doing it as well eventually, but I can't remember. He's doing live. He's in the hundredth episode. He's doing a live, big live show as well for that. So exciting stuff for the community at the moment. There's lots going on. Yeah, very cool. Have you done any of these, um, like his live streams? No, no, I haven't done live stream. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't experimented with that yet. But I guess that's the that's the next level. Well, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, design recharge for for. Diane, uh, she's yeah, she does us live streamed every time, and she just puts it straight out. I get scared of that. I'd have to edit it down and and I'd edit all the pauses and arms out, and hopefully it's not too bad. But uh, yeah, that's pretty brave. All the comments that there are going as well. She's she's flying. She's in six hundred episodes or whatever it is. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's amazing. But yeah, good stuff in the community. Uh, so what I found on your YouTube channels and, and videos and everything was the th- really interesting was the 59 second bits, the uh, little videos that you do. That's really cool. Can you tell people what they're about? Yeah. So, um, one of the first things, actually the very first thing I did was just kind of a test and it was, um, kind of all of my favorite design podcasts at the moment, which I've been 
saying I need to do episode two and including yours. Like, I don't think you were on that first list, but you're definitely on, on the new list. So I need to finish rounding that out. But, um, so the very next thing that I tried was I thought, man, what if I could put together like these little one minute videos just with like tips for marketers or designers, uh, especially on personal brand or how to, how to think about marketing themselves differently. Um, you know, truth be told, they're very seldom actually under a minute, but we, <laughs> we talk about them as 59 second Fridays. And I did one of those, uh, pretty much one a week last year. I think I, I may have missed a couple and then we're so trying to keep up with that still this year. Um, man, that's, it's a tough, it's a tough challenge. I frequently find myself recording something on Thursday night to go out Friday morning, but, um, but those are fun and I've, I've gotten good feedback on them. Um, that's good. It's, uh, it's, it's tough to kind of think of what's, what's the next thing, what's something I haven't talked about or what's something people ask me about. So often it's something that I just talked about the day before. It was a real in-person conversation and somebody was like, what do you think about? And then that's what becomes a video. So it's been cool. Nice. Yeah, are they all sort of tips from stuff you learned from building your own business and, and starting your own studio? Yeah, how, how's that been as well, like with starting your own studio? How, when you started, how did you get off the ground? How did you get clients in? How did you really get it going? Oh yeah, good question. So I worked for an advertising agency right out of uh, the university and uh, uh, had one other job for about six months in-house with a company called Finish Line, which is an athletic shoe retailer in the US. Um, and as I was taking that job at finish line, I was really on the fence as to whether I should start my own thing at that point. And I thought, you know what, this is a cool opportunity to work with Nike and Adidas and a few other big brands. So I gave it a try. And, um, as in-house goes, it was pretty cool, but I really ultimately just wanted to do my own thing. Um, so towards the end of my tenure there, I had more freelance work than I knew what to do with, or that I could get done on nights and weekends. So I thought, well, let's, let's just try this. Worst case, I'll go get another job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I saved up enough cash um, over six months to pay myself for the first couple weeks. And I decided by month two, I wanted the business to completely be paying my salary and not be tapping savings anymore. And that experiment lasted the entire <laughs> 16 years. So, so that was good. It was a lot of, um, it was a lot of relationship building. So it was people who I knew from my former agency job and it was, um, just constantly connecting the dots between, um, you know, membership organizations like AIGA that I was very involved with early on. And then I would meet a designer at AIGA who you would think, you know, meeting competitors, that's not how you go get new work, but a lot of those designers would go work in house somewhere and then they would need help. They would need overflow and they would call me or they would get a freelance job that they couldn't do. And they'd refer me for that opportunity. So it was crazy how many opportunities actually came from fellow creatives and fellow designers that really helped build the business early on. I'm so glad you said that because it's that's something that's been really helping me at the moment. Uh, other designers and, and building those relationships with other designers. So they eventually hand you work or, or like they, they trust you enough to be able to give you work when they're too busy or when they don't have enough, when they, when they can't do the job or something. That's uh, something I've been really pushing at the moment. Um, it's been great. It's been really good. I've had three projects, uh, two of them are done. So it's handy. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just how else did you go around um, doing that? Was it literally just uh, building up relationships? And, and how, how, when you say building up relationships, how long and, and what sort of stuff are we saying to people? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, the, the short answer is networking. So there were a lot of different networking and business groups in Indianapolis, uh, where, where I'm based. Um, and so it wasn't just going to AIJ and creative, uh, kinds of things, but it was also other business owners who were trying to build up their business. So I'd end up sitting down with insurance salesmen and talking to them about who they need to meet and who their target market is. And I would tell them what I needed. And so we, just tried to be good referral partners for one another. Right. Um, you know, had a small group that I would meet with pretty frequently, like once a month. Um, and we'd all get together with the same group and talk about different new businesses that we had heard about, or maybe someone who was up for an award. And if anybody knew how to get hold of this person and 
So it was just a, a great way. It was sort of like the uh, the analog version of LinkedIn. <laughs> so you're <laughs> meeting in person and having real conversations in real time as opposed to just all email and, and IM. Um, and I think the other piece of that was in one of these networking groups, um, a friend of mine who was an intern for another agency was literally standing behind me talking to someone else about what they did. And I heard the person he was talking to out of, out of my ear say, so I know what Josh does, but how are you guys different from Josh? And then he said, uh, well, you know, we're better for startups and small companies. Josh really does high end stuff for really professional firms. And I thought, that sounds right, but that's not what I'm saying about myself. What if, if, my, if my competition is literally saying that about me, what if I went out to the market and echoed that same message? And that really gave us a lot of momentum once we got really consistent with how we talked about the agency and the kinds of work and the kinds of clients that we did work for. So um, that became one of the, the huge, um, or the, the chief focus of the agency was doing high-end brand and web work for professional and B2B. That's, that, that would really like, nicely lead me on to my next point, but I'm going to keep going on, on this networking stuff because I know it's oh, sure. people because it's, the thing is, people find it boring going to networking events and, and like, they, also, they also have trouble wanting to go to them because it's a bit awkward or it's just a bit, people get a bit nervous around other people that people don't know. How can you just throw yourself in there? How can you uh, make it a bit more warm? Or maybe do you, do you start talking about things that you like to do with, outside of business or what sort of what's it like a good conversation starter i mean the short answer is yeah some of those are awful <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in a in a room with people who know how to network um and i mean they don't just go to meetings and network but but they're good networkers good networkers are givers and they're connectors so if you want to um if you want to get that from someone else, you have to give that first. So you go, you come to that conversation willing to make introductions or willing to share. And it's not just everybody. You don't just go up to a random guy and say, Hey, I want to introduce you to my best client and you can sell stuff to him. That's, that's not what it's about, but it's, it's about feeling like, Oh, we've, we've got a connection here. You and I are, you know, on the same page or have some common interest. We should sit down together, grab a cup of coffee and learn more about, what you want to do, and, and at that point, then then you're maybe in a position where you're willing to to make a connection for them or help them out. But I, I think right. um, one of the things as a as a designer, as creative myself, I think one of the most important things is your your curiosity and your willingness to listen. So if you're curious and want to listen and kind of help them um, solve problems, then I think you're going to get a lot further than if you just go trying to pass out as many business cards as possible and hoping to get people to, uh, you know, follow you on Twitter or whatnot. Yeah. Having those real conversations with people. I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I've done a few networking things before, but I, as I'm still quite young, but I, I got a bit nervous about it and got a bit overwhelmed. So I've sort of stopped going to them. Uh, but then again, I'm going to these design, like more comfortable environments, like design conferences and creative South and things in London that are, are going on uh, in the UK, even up North. And it's, it's not it's much more relaxed environment because you, people around you, you know everyone's in the same boat and you know um that you've all got the same problems and it's it's great that you can you can talk about those things together and, and eventually you know build this network of other designers that's what i'm doing with the podcast that's what i'm doing with uh, going around the uk in this this new series i'm going to do on youtube but um but yeah they're the people that i found that have been the best passing off me passing on getting work from and not not really other businesses i mean is that been the best best networking thing for you going over to people that aren't designers? Yeah, I think it's it's important for you to have a mix because mm -hmm. at some level, just talking to designers, you know, it's designers talking to designers about design. It's not right. not necessarily going to make you as well rounded as um, getting exposure to other industries, or um, especially as you find okay, well, we've done work for three clients that are in the same industry, I wonder, wonder what conferences or what groups my clients belong to. And then to attend one of your clients' conferences and to hear those conversations or to hear what the, the keynote or the breakout sessions are talking about, man, you start to understand problems that your clients have that maybe you could help solve that weren't even on your radar before. So I think it, it really kind of expands how you think about 
design problems as you dig into these other groups. But I mean, really even networking is just good practice for, for dealing with future clients too. So you're, you're in a room where you don't have to do business with them, but you're kind of getting used to talking to different types of people and different personalities. And some people are very extroverted. Some people are very introverted. And most people are somewhere in between and kind of bounce between both. And you kind of get used to all those unique elements by going to these networking groups. Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's being a good speaker is probably quite a good skill anyway. Like being able to talk to people and being open and, uh, yeah, sharing, sharing, just having, being able to have a conversation. It's like one of the main skills. If I had a child as well, if I had a child and, and I could give them one skill, that would probably be it. Have a conversation, be able to speak and have a conversation. Uh, yeah, nice. Uh, so we're talking about um, being able to, people recognizing what you do and then um, you sort of being able to portray the message and, and give give an actual uh, an actual vision of uh, understanding what you do to other people, and uh, that sort of relates back to your TED talk a little bit as well, um, mm. which I is, is that in twenty fourteen was it? So it's like five years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, are you, you doing? Uh, are you going to plan on doing another one, or is it all good? Uh, I don't have one on the books yet, but um, nice. I do have another. Um, I wrote a book a few years ago on branding for professional services. And I, I have a new, um, a new book concept that I've been kicking around. So if that becomes a book, I think it would be another, another good TED talk as well. well what's the book? What's your book about? So the, the previous book was called Bold Brand 2.0 and it was about branding for professional services firms, kind of the, everything from positioning through kind of the legal stuff of trademark and then website and marketing. Um, the new book that I'm working on is more about um, how to embrace um, the role of a futurist within your organization. So um, sort of exploring the idea of who within your company should own the future, who's, whose job is it to think about what's next and to look out for those, um, not just to look out for the risks, but also to look out for the opportunities or where your, your industry could be changing altogether. Is that a, is that a CEO or founder sort of vision or is that a, you know, marketing role or, you know, it's probably not your accountant's role. It's probably not your, your operations guy, but, you know, looking through at what, um, what some leading futurists are saying and then also um, seeing how that might apply within your business or organization. Nice. And, that, and that's more, that's to do with everyone. That's not just designers. Yeah. I think cool. that'll be a, a more, more broadly uh, applicable book for sure. Cool. Do you have an idea of when it be out, or is it, is it like a very work in progress? Um, I would love to have something written by the end of the year. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, I'm not sure I've said that to anybody else. <laughs> Certainly not publicly to, uh, to your thousands of viewers so, uh, and listeners. But uh, yeah, look for that end of the year. Where can people get the current book? Uh, current book's available on Amazon. Cool. Uh, so, so what's the, what's the importance about the, we've talked in your TED talk again, you, what's the importance of someone having a clear message and understanding of what you do and, and how do you portray that? How do you go around by sharing that? You know, it was um, kind of early on in my design career, even when I was working at an advertising agency, um, this concept of branding and positioning and differentiation was something that I was just naturally attracted to. So it was something that I, kind of dug into further. So um, I'm kind of a voracious learner when I find something that I want to know more about. I just kind of obsess over it and dig into it. And it's part of why the, my podcast is called Obsessed with Design is just sort of uh, uh, self-realization. Uh, my creative director at the time helped with the, the title of that, but it, it just totally hit home. And, uh, you know, thinking about um, perception in particular is one of the things that I talked about in the TED talk, which is you think you're putting out your best work and your client, your partner, whoever doesn't think you're doing your best work. You know, why is there, why is there that disconnect? Why is there a paradox between what you're delivering and, and what you feel like you're delivering? Um, and I, I think positioning and differentiation and, and how you've branded yourself is a big piece of that. So to be intentional about how you want somebody to perceive you um, as opposed to just sort of letting it happen. Right. 
Yeah. So, so how do you do that? How, say you're a young designer, uh, you started up your own, you got your own name, you started up a small design studio by yourself, you want to try and get attract clients. How do you position yourself to, to be seen as this designer for small brands, small businesses? Yeah, well, I think um, the one, maybe this is obvious, but I think showing the kind of work that you have done that you're proud of is really the only kind of work you should be showing. Um, when I was a young student, I was showing my portfolio to an art director and we turned the page of my, my big plastic binder and I had this, uh, this billboard for a restaurant that was in Northern Indiana called, I think it was called the Matterhorn. And it, um, you know, it was not exciting. It was a big plate of food and a headline and a location. And he was like, did you do this? And I said, yeah, it's a billboard. He's like, why is it in your book? I was like, cause it's a real billboard. See, there's the photo of the thing I did. I did this billboard. He's like, did you like design the logo? No. Did you write the headline? No. I, I laid out the pieces. He's like, is this, do you think this is some of your best work? I was like, well, no, not really, but it, it's a real billboard. And he was like, if, if you don't want to do billboards and this isn't your thing, this should not be in your book. It, it's frankly not the best piece in here. Uh, you didn't create the, the look and feel for it. You didn't design the brand. So I don't see any reason why you would show this thing. And it was the first time that I ever thought like, but, but when you, you finally get experience, you know, like, Oh, this is a real job, but then maybe that's still not the best fit to, to show the kind of work that you want. So I think if you decide doing brands for small businesses is what you want to uh, be known for, then that's the only kind of work you should be talking about. And that's the only kind of work that you should show. So it'd be step yeah. one in my book. That's such good advice. Uh, yeah. I like that's tough love from, from that. Is it Electra who said that? It was what? Who, who said that to you? Was it Electra or was it? I was a, an art director at an ad agency that I was applying to. Oh, that's tough love. Yeah. I like that. Look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so, okay. Talking, showing your portfolio and showing stuff you want to put out there. Is there anything else? How, how would you brand yourself in terms of, would you put a logo on it or would you, I suppose it depends on the name. If you go for your own name, would you create a logo for it or would you go over your face or what sort of stuff would you go down that route? Yeah, yeah. I think any of those things are fine options. I think um, even thinking a little bit down the line of, you know, do I want to build this into a 20 person agency or do I want this to be seen as a bigger thing that it is because I can, I can bring my friends in from across town or across the country or around the world and they're going to help me with projects. So I want this to look like a bigger thing or do I want to be um, a resource to other design firms and studios that they would, you know, reach out to Josh and just hire Josh to help out. Um, and I think that makes a difference how you position it. So if I just want to be your extra set of hands, then I would definitely just brand it as me. And if I want to be seen by, by clients ultimately as a, a big legitimate resource, then maybe it deserves a, a separate name and a bigger idea. Cool. Okay. Is there anything else like you would do with the look of it with it, with the, this on social media, for example, on, on like maybe consistency, is there anything down that road you could go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that, um, that I would always recommend from a personal brand standpoint is doing um, a bit of an audit. And audit can sound like a big, scary financial word, but I think um, it's really just a matter of thinking through what do I want people to see and what do I want them to think when they look at my stuff? And if I line up what I'm doing on Instagram alongside of Twitter, alongside of maybe my personal website or my Dribbble account or my whatever else you have out there, line these things up and say, is, is this obviously all from the same person, all from the same designer, all from the same same point of view or are you seeing really different things um, and if they are really different is there a reason for that so i think um finding consistency within those or or maybe you decide or right, instagram is really where i just want to share photos it's kind of what it was intended for but you know designers often will show logos and other things there too so you, you might have a reason why one of these things doesn't fit if it's like okay this is where personal vacation photos or you know, me and my family are just cool shots that I take. Um, but, but again, be intentional about that and don't just let these things happen to you. Okay, cool. So a lot of young designers listening to this podcast. So could you just like clarify the word positioning? 
Oh yeah. So um, positioning is almost like if you think of an X and Y axis in math class, <laughs> right? So Y is up and down and X is left and right. Yeah. If you think about um, where something falls on that grid, um, like any two qualities that you might compare. And if we think of like um, in the US uh, retailers, if you think of someone who's uh, really cheap to really expensive, kind of on that y-axis. So the cheapest possible resource is the bottom, and the most expensive is the top. And then at the far, um, the far right-hand side would be they they're really specialized, and the far left-hand side would be they sell absolutely everything. So you're trying to look at how would you map every retailer on that on that list, and at least in the U.S., when you say um, someone who's really cheap and they sell absolutely everything. Do you have any guesses what, what everybody says? Yeah, well, you said Walmart, I think. Yeah, Walmart. Walmart is always, <laughs> always it. I think um, the UK version of that would be Poundland. Yeah. Poundland, that's it. Okay, there you go. So, so Walmart, in this case, um, and I would say intentionally, has this position as we have really low prices and we have just about everything you could possibly want. So... As a consumer, in my mind, they hold that position. Now, if you think about, um, if we go the opposite end, where they are very specialized and very expensive, there are probably all kinds of brands that you can think of. Is there anybody that rings a bell for you? Specialized and very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, Apple. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Apple's <laughs> certainly in that direction. And, you know, they're more diverse than they used to be in that they have, you know, all of their digital products and music and you know more than just uh just Macs now maybe but. someone like bose or, or like someone that just has one sort of product like just sound speakers uh, yeah try to look around and see if there's anything but we're like you know tesla is very yeah, very yeah. specialized in what they sell they have what three cars or something um but again that's that's positioning so it's okay. it's the art and science of being intentional about um, wanting your consumer, your um, your client, your customer to think of you and they think of those qualities. So again, the example that I gave was in the early days of our agency was we do really high-end stuff for very professional companies. And so that was a very specific niche that we were able to capture um, within the work our firm was doing. Cool. And so how did you portray that in like a, in like a logo or in, or in like the, the actual look of it and messages so, coming out. yeah i think doing that within a logo is is kind of a tall task but um you know our our look and feel wasn't especially playful you know we had kind of conservative color palettes and you know very clean sans serif work and you know lots of all caps and spaced out and well balanced and good harmony, good strength. So I, I think if you have work that's all playful and hand drawn and super colorful, and then you say it's professional and high end, then people go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. But if you said it, we do, you know, this playful, colorful stuff for, for restaurants or for microbreweries, then okay. And that, that makes a little more sense. So I think matching the aesthetic with the, uh, with the positioning is, is not, um, it's not 100% essential for every project, but I think having that consistency is important. Okay. Is, is there anyone that looks and you know, that you see that does it really well? Hmm. So I actually on, uh, on my podcast, my next interview is, uh, with a guy named Nick Ace and he works for Collins, uh, which was founded by Brian Collins and, Collins is doing some really, really nice brand work right now. Um, two of his uh, new case studies are going up there now, but if you check out the, the Collins website, they did the recent Spotify update, uh, uh, which was maybe a year or two ago now, but um, definitely a group that you should uh, reach out to. And I'll, I'll tell Nick to chat with you too. This was a design company, yeah? Yeah, they're a, a branding really branding agency. Cool. I think I've made a note of there. Is that their website? Oh, this might come up in a minute. Yeah, we, yeah that's some MailChimp and stuff. Oh, yeah. I've seen yeah. Nice. Yeah, they that's, do some pretty killer work. That'd be a cool interview as well. Yeah. You, you're getting some cool people on your show. I like it. Yeah. We have had some good people. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm really trying to push down this road because I know young people have a problem with this, uh, how, yeah. how to portray themselves. And when I was younger, it was all over the place. It was either, either doing changing names each, each year or changing logo each year or just really trying to understand who I am. Now I've finally stuck with one, but uh, I'm still trying to hone that messaging and, and trying, trying to get more consistent with templates and social media things uh, mm -hmm. and messaging. Um, is there any more advice or tips or anything else people can do to, to really get consistent and make sure people understand what they do? I think um, identifying the touch points that are most important to your clients. Um, again, early on, one of the really important touch points for me are places where I would interact with somebody were in these in-person networking events. So it was important for me in the early days to have a really nice business card. You know, not just that it was printed professionally, but something that that the stock was amazing or the material was something different or there was maybe something that your average um, business guy had never seen before. So I really leaned in heavily to the business card design. One year they were plastic. Um, you know, we had done letterpress and really thick cards and edge painting and foil and, you know, not all at once, but kind of <laughs> experimented with all of these things over the years. And, and had had some some really cool business cards. So um, I think for your listeners, think about what is that interaction, what's that touch point that's most frequent for you? So is it is it an email contact form? And if so, um, you know, should you have some sort of autoresponder so that as soon as somebody reaches out and says, I'd like to talk to you about a project, they get an email back that says, thank you. We're excited to talk to you. We got your message and we'll be in touch soon. You know, something that's just a really great touch point that gives them the assurance that, that you're a pro and you're, you're on top of it. That's a really good point. So, okay. So, so it's finding how people get in touch with you and, and really making that look good and making it professional and or, or however you want to be perceived. Um, so it's a really good one actually um, about the business cards because I, gone through so much money spending money on printing and business cards over the years just because i like making things um yeah. my, current, my current cards they're, they're like this they're like a little, oh, i don't know if you can see it a bit dark but got a bit of foiling on there uh, it says making the world better by design uh, but the only thing then i designed them had them printed i got them and realized i haven't got my logo on it <laughs> <laughs> i got all the contact information i got the website got the email uh got the twitter handle but no bit logo oh <laughs> maybe next time <laughs> yeah so i have to get through those first but yeah I, I would, my advice for people trying to get business cards done make sure you're going to hand them out before you get them done otherwise uh, you'll be wasting money like i have um, yeah but yeah no, that's really good advice actually yeah uh, so it's all about this experience creating an experience whenever people have interactions with you or your business or whatever you're called making sure they're, they're excited to be contacting you and making making that interaction fun yeah absolutely um, is there any is there any other ways or any other advice you would give to people um, doing that or how, maybe how you've done it in the past well maybe don't look past uh, a tactic just because it's it's uh, old-fashioned um, right. like sending out a, a handwritten note after you've met with someone new mm -hmm. as a follow-up and with a signature and maybe you throw a sticker in there or something fun to uh, to remember you or some note about the conversation um, you know those I think those handwritten touches are getting getting mail in the mailbox as opposed to the email box. Uh, it, it feels really good now. Or before people would, you know, rummage through their their mailbox and just throw away the junk to find something that's actually addressed to you and intentional. I think is still a really great touch. And again, maybe for your listeners, maybe that's maybe that's something else. Maybe it's a a Twitter mention or an Instagram thing. I don't know, but um, no, that's good. I mean, students, okay. if, if if you're looking to get get um, get 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 seen out, uh, especially in the day of social media where emails are getting looked at less, uh, mm -hmm. less than mail. Like I, I know businesses and um, friend of the show Tom Ross. He's and you, you've been to Tom as well. Yeah. He, we had design cut. Someone sent him uh, this big this big package and it had all the people's faces on it. I work at design cuts. <laughs> and, he, and he got really excited about it and, and thought it was really creative and they gave him projects to do the, the guy who sent it in because although he's looking for a job they couldn't give him a job but they still kept my, in, him in mind and it got him somewhere it got him in a foot in the door so if you're going to send out something that's that's really good uh 
I'm planning on doing, uh, so I want to design a football cover, like brochure, football program brochure designs, which is like, the mm-hmm. you go to a football match, you get the program and it tells you all about the match and has a few interviews and stuff in it. So I want to do just the covers of that for football clubs, um, soccer clubs. And uh, so I'm going to, I've created loads of them and I'm going to keep going until the end of the season. And at the end of the season, they're going to get printed like, like an actual program just full of covers that I've designed. Um, hopefully if I have enough money, send them out to, to design at football clubs and um, with a cover letter. So I'll again, go through LinkedIn, having, having a look at people's emails and having a look at um, people's names and actually doing it right, like a handwritten letter uh, to each club, to each person at the club, like a marketing manager, a media manager. I'm hoping that would be enough to get me the job. But, uh, we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. You fun. know, um, related to that, um, clients in my experience love it when things are really small okay love it when things are really big so consider sending out your covers really tiny where they could like stack them up on their desk or send them like a poster of a cover it just the, the impact when the scale is unexpected is is really wild you know when you unveil your new logo and it's like as big as the wall people are just <laughs> like it's big I don't know what to do it's so great when you look at it on a piece of paper you're like oh, I don't know if I like this font or I don't know about mm. this but I think showing that that extreme of really big and really small is is interesting and of course you know sending it in the mail as opposed to just emailing them the pdf of the cover I think is great so especially young designers listening um, you know don't just email your resumes over you know, lob a PDF through the internet. Um, I think when like, the same thing, the, the paper mail is true, I think for, for resumes or cover letters for sure to, to be thoughtful about what kind of paper it's on and what the envelope looks like. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is true in the, in the UK, but in the US we have like all these different stamps and whatever, you know, you can add a little personalization to all of these things through paper weight and color and stamps and handwriting so there's a lot you can do to really stand out in the stack as opposed to just uh trying to break through the email inbox yeah that's a good point uh, hand handmade stuff and handwritten stuff for sure uh, I, I like the idea of videos as well if someone sent me a video and they want to get hired by me like it's a bit more personal and maybe maybe people are getting this too much these days maybe it's already been done but uh if you're a student and you're sending over a pdf of, of your portfolio and you can't afford to get it printed and actually send it to them or can't afford to make any handmade things, um, then maybe include a video. It's much, much more personal and it's also personalized then and it's uh, maybe more direct and might actually hit some hit home rather than um, just sending over a blank email. But uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, is values and because and, I've been on this road at the moment of what are my values and what am I holding myself to and how can I, uh, and it also came when I was watching your 59, 59 second uh, clips as well. Yeah. Holding yourself to values and understanding self-awareness and really understanding who I am at the moment. And another, there's a football manager called Sir Alex Ferguson who says you should have a, have a clear set of values and stay consistent with that throughout your life. And, and really like by the end of the, by the time you get to the end, you should really, everyone should know you for those values. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's such a, such a cool thing. And that, like, one of the questions I ask at the end of the podcast is how do you want to be remembered? And I think, because I've been thinking about it, I asked it so many times, but I never really thought about it myself. If I can remember by these, these values that I've got, then uh, yeah, I think that'd be amazing. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to ask you, what, what sort of values do you live by? And um, is there anything you've thought of? Um, yeah, it's, it's such a good question. You know, it's something that I, I talk about values frequently or talk about you know how to make sure that from a marketing standpoint or from a brand standpoint that you're coming through as you as you intend to be um and and i'm sure this is not like my my ultimate list you know i need to i need to probably give that some more thought like if i only had five or only had ten what would would those be but um you know some of the ones that i thought about were um you know these are all kind of related but like between curiosity and learning and teaching. I think those are all very tightly packaged together, but um, you know, I have always valued in myself and I value in others, this idea of curiosity or someone who's open to learning new things or ask more questions or just to be inquisitive. And, and I love 
being in front of a room or even one-on-one -on -one with people who are curious and inquisitive and to being able to teach them and offer them something of value. So um, that's probably a really big one for me. It's just that whole idea of, of sharing and being curious and, and the value that I place on, on teaching. I never, I never thought like, I want to go to school and be a teacher or a lecturer or a professor, but yeah. um, it's, it's interesting how, how important that is to me now. That's amazing. And that, that comes with the, the two podcasts and the two books. Uh, and, and yeah, <laughs> YouTube. I guess that, that makes a lot of sense. Is that, is that something yeah. you thought about or you just, it's just come together and now you're realizing? Yeah, it's something that I, um, I've been thinking about here a lot recently as, um, you know, we talked about at the top of the show, all the different crazy things that I'm doing and what's, you know, I was wondering like what's driving me to do all of these things. Um, I think it, it took me a long time in life to figure out that I'm a little bit of a type A as in, you know, very achievement driven person, but it, but it's not typical, like go out, get the big job, get the big car, make more money. Like it, it's not that version of type A, it's more just achieving more things. So for me, learning stuff or amassing knowledge or having new skills like that, that's kind of my version of type A, which is, which is a little bit weird. Um, and that's coupled with, um, I definitely value um, optimism. So that, the, um, and maybe to a fault. So I always think I have time to learn more than I actually have time to do or time to squeeze in one more thing, which is also probably consistent with this idea of how do you do all these things? Well, I always think I can get more done than I probably can. So, so that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing, I think. I like, I like the optimistic view. That's good because so many people uh, get stuck in, in in their jobs and just doing stuff, and and it just keeps going down and down and down. It's a slippery slope. And uh, the the thing I've really been trying to do with being more optimistic is not watching the news, not paying attention to the news. It's so one, especially over here. I don't know, really know what it's like over your your way, but it's awful. It's <laughs> a great tip. I avoid the news whenever I can. Yeah, I I say to my grandparents, do we really need to know about people? in Greece or like it's really need to know about stuff happening that was in some of the summer that's not it sounds bad to say but not really going to affect us um I don't know it's because it, it's so one-sided and it really it's always miserable pretty much mm -hmm. um, yeah and you know I try to come up for air often enough to have awareness if there's some major world event going on yeah. or you know I, I because I feel empathy but I also don't feel um I don't want to be overwhelmed by all the world's problems in an instant every day. So I've stopped looking at global news every morning when I wake up because it's, that's just not, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a few things that I check on intentionally. Um, you know, some of them are related to movies coming out. I want to see what the latest rumor is about this movie or whatever, but you know, world events and stuff like that. I, I just don't, I don't fill my head with that all day, every day. I think I'd drive myself crazy if I did. Yeah. Are you a big movie goer? Do you like a lot of movies? Yeah, I, um, I've sort of become a, a bit of a superhero movie I fan. Just... I, I spent the first uh, six or seven years of my life believing that I was Batman. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what sort of got it started. But um, I never, you know, I've probably owned less than a dozen comic books in my life. So it wasn't that I was always into comic books as a kid, but I, but I always enjoyed the the movies and the films so i try to geek out just enough to know the backstory of like what it's supposed to be before the film comes out so i know a little bit but i but i'm not a real nerd i don't yeah <laughs> i don't have i don't have the real history behind it so um i just don't want to be the superhero fan films they're, they're good for like that optimism and that, that they're getting they're getting those values because there's always good stories in them and yeah I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of them, but there's always like there's always something that you can take away from the character. There's always like a story you, you put yourself in their shoes. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like so you can yeah you can definitely take stuff away from them. Um, have we, have we I done? think as a as a branding guy too, I think there are, yeah. there are so many stories about identity and differentiation and how to stand out and how to be true to to what you're about. I think there are so many branding lessons in these. And it's sort of the same lesson with every superhero movie, but you know, in the, uh, in the Black Panther, um, you know, kind of middle of the movie, he's in this fight without his superpowers and his mother's yelling to him, tell them who you are. And like, 
I was just in tears and I may have been the only person in the movie theater, but just this idea of, you know, his, his very identity was at stake that he was about to be beat up and that somehow he wasn't going to be this, the same guy anymore. And, um, like I, I definitely get into those kind of stories. Maybe that's why a lot of designers relate to them because they, they, yeah, they do tell, tell branding stories. Um, yeah, I think most of my friends that are designers like superhero films. So, uh, yeah, and they always put they always put themselves in the shoes of the superhero as well. No one ever says no one ever puts themselves in the shoes of the villain. So, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. What, so, so what sort of stuff are you doing um, with yourself and personal branding today to to get your message out there? And what is your message as well? What is your message? too much really? Um, I think my biggest effort over the last year has really been the YouTube stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, that's like learning a whole nother language, figuring out how to, how to optimize a video to be found by the people that you want to see it for. You know, it's frustrating when you have one that's about gear or technology and that gets thousands of views. And then you have one that you're like, Oh, this is a really great message. And it's had like 12 views in the first week. Like, Oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I see. Well, your your videos like they some of those are boomed. Was it fourteen thousand views or? Yeah, and then there are others that have like twelve or twenty nine or something. It's really weird. It's tough to tough to figure out which is which and and why that happens. But um, but yeah, that's that's been my latest experiment. With other things, I sort of know how to how to ramp up or build up. And um, like uh, late in December of two thousand eighteen, I put out a a personal brand audit checklist. So it's just this free thing that you can go to joshmiles.com and download. Um, and that gets like maybe somebody every day will fill out that form and download the, the PDF. So that's, you know, growing that email list just kind of like without me even doing anything. Um, but it, it's a good resource just of things that you might think about if you're considering doing that brand audit and thinking through, you know, what are all the things I have out there and do they all, makes sense as a consistent. So, you know, just trying to build up some, some little tools like that. Um, I think depending on what I do with this next book may shift a lot of what I want to do with the personal brand. So, you know, it's lots of, lots of things in the air right now. Uh, what, what do you think about sort of having these platforms? Okay. So say that I'm going really pushing, really, really doing well and kind of consistent with Twitter, Instagram, uh, and then the Facebook sort of falling off or like dribble slightly falling off. And it's not really consistent anymore because it's still old work. Would you say, okay, I haven't really been posting on here. If I don't keep trying to post on it, let's just stack it, uh, slack it off and just cancel it. Like let's just let's just get rid of that platform rather than having it there as a as a backbone as an old work. Or would you just keep yourself on it anyway? Yeah, I think um, some of those niche platforms are probably worth walking away from if you're not getting um, some good momentum something like facebook or youtube i think those are worth having just to have because i think those are kind of the giants in the industry at this point the the googles and facebook's who run these things are just are so big that it, you know it, it, even if it's back burner even if you're not giving it lots of attention just leaving that content out there is probably wise uh, in case you want to come back to it in the future okay that's good that's good advice yeah uh, is there anything else you you say to young people getting into the industry? Um, what was it? What's been something you found hard and have you overcome it maybe? Um, maybe related to the platform question and this question is thinking about as a young person, what do you want your body of work to look like in three years or five years or 10 years? And to be really intentional about building that to say, okay, well, I'm the kind of designer who would sell their own Lightroom presets, or I'm the kind of designer who would have logo templates, or I'm the kind of designer who would have their own typeface in five years. Well, start learning about how to do a typeface, you know, get yourself on the right path so that, you know, maybe, maybe over the next year, you're releasing a few characters that you designed and getting feedback on those and you're building up to that typeface. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, if you want to have a book, that takes time. So any of these kind of things, you know, thinking about where do I want to be in the future? And then, you know, what platform do I want to build that on? And, and am I moving in the right direction, adding steps to get to where I want to be in a couple of years? Okay. Yeah, that's good. 
so so self-awareness of where you want to be okay and then, and then looking and looking about how, how you can go around doing that have you ever reversed engineered stuff like like look at look say you want to but you have you have your own studio and you want to uh, by the time you're 30 how have you ever done it like gone back the steps yeah I, it was kind of how the book worked for me which was i went back to you know started with an outline i'd written some chapters and yeah. then I ended up scrapping a lot of what I had written because I went back and wrote an outline and said, here's basically what would become the table of contents and here's what each section should be about and here's what each chapter is about and some bullet points for each chapter. And then I would go to that stuff that I had already written and go, okay, that either does or doesn't fit anymore. And now I need to adjust to, to build it out. So then you sort of just get in the habit of, okay, I'm going to try to write two chapters this weekend or one chapter this weekend. How many how many words or how many pages so it, it just kind of kind of snowballs like that yeah how about the books though how, like how much research did you put in for it before or is it just like all, all the knowledge you've built up just by doing stuff it was a little bit of both so some of it was just um you know the the on the job experience and working with clients and conversations that i'd had mm-hmm. and then others some of it was case studies so it was and not all the case studies were work that i had personally done so it was interviewing people who did similar kinds of work who maybe had a had an interesting point of view or an interesting project maybe with video or social media or something that i didn't have a lot of experience with at the time cool uh, and this is a big question you probably get quite a lot how, how long does it take to like how long does it take to, to do the book start to finish um once i got serious about it it was about six months of pure writing and then about six months of edits and uh, production work. So I think if I had it to do all over, I, I could do it faster if all I was doing was writing a book, but <laughs> most people are juggling at least one other job and you know, a family and hobbies and everything else. So for me, it was, it was largely a Saturday project. It was, you know, get up early, make some coffee, sit down and write all morning and you know, try to crank a little bit in the afternoon. And then that was about it after, six or seven hours of writing that was about all i could take so yeah. you know I, I think if i could make that a two or three day a week thing then you could really easily cram that down into a you know month or two of writing and then a month or two of editing but it's it's a big project do you think it's good though to have that break in between like well, unless you so saturday to saturday rather than and it's good, it gives you time to think yeah definitely i think um maybe as important as the breaks in between are the the concentrated amounts of time to work on it. So even if it's just an hour a day or an hour three days a week, I think that's better than trying to work in 10 minutes here and 20 minutes there and you know getting at least an hour to get some momentum. I think um, there's lots of research that shows you've got to sort of be on a task for at least 20 minutes before you're really focused into that. So I think that's helpful. You describe yourself as a coffee addict as well, or a caffeine addict. Yes. How, uh, how's that been and, and getting your focus? Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm, I don't know if it's better or worse. I don't know how, it depends on the guess on how many you drink each day. But I'm more of a, an energy drink person rather than coffee mm-hmm. and tea. Uh, I, I should, I'm a disgrace to the British nation for not drinking enough tea. But uh, <laughs> how, like, how, how has that affected your work? And do you think you could do it without caffeine? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, I decided at some point that if I'd already had a few cups of coffee during the day, if I just went and put hot water in a coffee cup, then my brain still sort of thinks I'm drinking coffee. So I think that's amazing. there's something, there's something comforting about just having the hot cup in your hand. And once you get used to that, I think that's, that's half of it in the morning. I have to have, I have to have some caffeine or I just don't feel right. I'm sure that's, that's the addiction speaking. That's probably not actually true, but um, but I think I'd have to be off of it for a while to not feel that way. Because I, I think it's like a little switch for me. Uh, when I once I've had a, a kind of of this energy drink, this monster. Uh, once if I put it down on the table, I open it and take a sip. I think right, I'm on now. I've got to do some work now. <laughs> exactly. There's something about that first sip that you're you're ready to get going as soon as it as soon as it hits. Yeah, some sort of weird ritual, sort of like you got to, you're working hard now. You're on, I don't know, it's weird. Um, but then, and then obviously, it doesn't 
it was obviously built up over time where I'm, I've done it so often and I'm like, oh, I'm not really doing it. I'm just procrastinating or watching YouTube videos or I'm just, it's not really going, I'm not actually working. <laughs> so yeah, it's, right. it's hard to focus it down. Um, but I'd love to know, I'd love to know more about like, if, if there's a scientist or someone we could speak to about, uh, about caffeine and the effects. I mean, there must be loads of YouTube videos about it. Um, mm -hmm. There's probably a bell curve too. It's probably an increase in productivity and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. not so good after that, or maybe no, no additional help. Yeah. Have you ever had a caffeine crash or high? Okay. Have you ever had a caffeine highs as well? Yeah. I, I don't know about that. Um, I don't know that I've ever like really overdosed <laughs> <laughs> on caffeine, but uh, I gotta imagine that's not good. No, no, I'd, I'd, I'd probably guess it's quite hard to do. Um, but yeah, the, the the only time I felt like where it's all come together, I was, I was drinking. I don't know if it's if it's coincidence that I was drinking caffeine at the same time, but um, it was a really good feeling. That sort of that project just been finished, and it was, I was really happy with the work, and it was all it felt that everything was going really well. I think I'd done a good podcast that day as well, and it's all like that moment. It was great. I think it might have been caffeine. <laughs> speak, but I'm not sure. Um, but those little moments, they're fantastic. Like you get them sometimes. And, so they're great, uh, but yeah, don't know where that went. That's a crazy tangent. But yeah, so talking about yourself, uh, the last two questions I'd like to ask everyone is: first of all, what's your best purchase under a hundred dollars? My best project under a hundred dollars? Uh, purchase. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Probably coffee. <laughs> yeah. How many? How much do you drink? <laughs> well, I probably have about a. A pot of coffee a day. A pot. How much is a pot of coffee? It's probably eight, eight actual eight cups. cups. You know, I, a cup. So this is like that's probably two cups worth of coffee in there. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, it probably <laughs> is. But uh, yeah, I've been. I was a, a Mountain Dew guy before. Yeah. Uh, which was not good for me. <laughs> I think my my teeth were probably rotting out of my head at that point, but. That was a couple of years right after college and I got off of off the soda altogether. So I think it was a good switch to go from Mountain Dew to coffee. No sugar. That's definitely a better switch. Yeah. yeah. Like this thing about the, uh, the amount of sugar in Mountain Dew. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like too sugary or too like, it tastes like soap over here. I'm not sure if it's the same over where you are, but it tastes like soap oh, yeah. if you had it. Huh. That sounds awful. <laughs> It might be the same stuff. I might have just gone off it. I used to like it as well, but uh, yeah. Anyway, next question, completely unrelated to that, and it's quite a big one. So, uh, how do you want to be remembered? That's the last question. Mm. So I I think uh, I've added to this recently, which we've talked about a little bit already. But the one thing that I um, am most focused on is I want my kids to remember me as the best data ever. They call me data. So. Um, that's that's number one to me. That's that is the most important thing, um, and the thing that I've added to that is um, I hope um, people remember me as as a teacher, that even though I wasn't, you know, working as a professor or instructor somewhere. That that they learned from me and that they felt like there was an openness and a willingness for me to to want to teach them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you taught me stuff, so thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. I was glad that I was able to wear my, my creative waffle. I did notice okay, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should have said it at the start, but yeah, I noticed it. I thought, yeah, it's good, good branding. You got there. Yellow shirt. I think it was subconscious to begin with, but then uh, I was thinking about it later. I was like, oh yeah, that's going to look like I'm wearing the logo. That's good. Uh, where can people find you? Say hello to you on social media and check out your, your book, your website and all the other stuff. I'm oh, sure the all the YouTube stuff is at youtube.com slash Josh Miles. Um, there's sort of all things Josh, if you're really interested in more of me, uh, at joshmiles.com. And the book is Bold Brand 2.0. It's on Amazon and probably lots of other places too, but Amazon's probably a good place to go for it. Cool. Is it also, like, I'm more worried about Amazon. Do you, do you get the most money from it if you say it for Amazon or do you, do you set it for your website is that a better way of doing it what you get yeah if um i only sell bulk deals through the website so if if somebody wants to buy like a, a set for their team or for their company you know 10 or more copies then definitely hit me up on the website and i can can get you a better deal there but um 
but I'm, I'm ordering the, the author copies through the website. So one-offs, I don't, I don't get that great of a deal. So. Okay, cool. So Amazon. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have uh, lots more episodes of the podcast here coming out this spring. So, um, obsessedshow.com where you can find, uh, obsessed with design on iTunes and all those places, of course, too. Absolutely. Obsessed by design. Check it out. Thanks very much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Have a good one. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. This week's listener of the week is Callum Seymour, illustrator from Sheffield. He's also been on one of the Freelance FIFA episodes, so go and check that out. He's insanely talented, uh, and if you want to be next week's listener of the week, go and leave a review on iTunes, and it also really helps out the show. Once again, thanks very much for listening. Have a great day, and I'll see you in the next episode.